0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to our series of Conversations of Race. My name is TK, and tonight I have some, I'll call them statesmen here at the the Moody Church, Um, two gentlemen who I know personally, and I think a lot of us do, who are doing ministry within the local church. So I'm gonna go ahead and um, start off on my far right.
1: Um, Go ahead, please introduce who you are and what you do here. Good evening, T.K. and and Ron. Good evening. I'm Pastor Larry McCarthy. I'm the pastor of Compassion Ministries, local outreach, and senior adults here at the Moody Church. I also have the privilege of uh, facilitating and leading the in-focus community, the most spirit-filled community at the Moody Church, I might add. (laughs) And the Lord has given me the opportunity to provide some pulpit supply for uh, the church as well. So I'm really glad to be here and a part of this conversation. Thank you. I
2: am Ron Ingram, and honestly, it is my boundless joy to say that I am the Director of Outreach to International Students and Scholars. That's international students and scholars as well as people who are friends of international students and scholars and who want to partner in that ministry and as such I get to work on the various campuses Mm -hmm. around Chicago with students, scholars or degreed people who are already here for additional training and um, I work with them to help them to understand the importance and the role Mm -hmm. of God Mm -hmm. in their lives and uh, to let them know that they're not here by accident but by design.
0: Amen. I mean, gentlemen, uh, this this week we are diving into just new man. What does it look like? Um, if you missed last week's um, conversation, I want to encourage you to go back. Um, it's on our Facebook uh, page. It's on our church uh, platform, on our website, and it will help you understand where we are going in the series, um, and there's some theological conversations we had in that first week that helps us set up where we are moving into this week. So we're going to just dive straight in, gentlemen. And, and um, Mr. McCarthy, I, I'm going to call both of you gentlemen Mr. Um, Ingram and Mr. McCarthy. It's more of a culture and respect thing. Um, when you think of the Gospels and Jesus Christ's ministry, How does his example um, impact how we think about racism Um, i think about john 4 jesus and the samaritan woman luke 10 the good samaritan and acts
1: 8 the ethiopian eunuch you know uh, tk when you sent the um, the kind of focused uh questions regarding this discussion i looked at the gospels and certainly looked at Ephesians 2 and I was thinking about so what is it that I would really say in response to that kind of question in the context of uh, racial reconciliation and if we're going to be honest about uh, this discussion what would I say and so a couple of things I think that that come out particularly from the gospel presentations is that ethnicity is always mentioned in scripture And this becomes important, I think, in our context because oftentimes, particularly in the body of Christ, you will hear people say things like, well, I don't look at race. Mm -hmm. And so we're painting people with this uh, monochrome palette that ignores their ethnicity Mm -hmm. and ignores where they're from and really takes a part of their personality out of them. And so what we see from the gospel presentations here is that it was important for the Holy Spirit to remind us that this was a Samaritan. It was important for the Holy Spirit to remind us that this was an Ethiopian. Mm -hmm. And that those, those elements are certainly not the things that define people, but we don't ignore them either. I have a good friend who's from Vietnam and the fact that I understand her walk, that culture, how they came Mm -hmm. here, why they're here has helped me to develop a better friendship with them and so I don't need to say I I ignore that part of them. But what I found intriguing from the initial query was certainly the challenge from Ephesians. When you asked Ephesians 2, and how does that impact in this as well?
0: Yeah. I mean, um, it, it, it reads verse uh, Ephesians 2:13 through to 17, "But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ." Yes. For in himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility." by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and preached peace
1: to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. And amen. So the gospel presentation shows us the Bible identifies ethnicity that the love, attention, and care of the Lord Jesus Christ is not limited to one people. And then here we find that peace with God and peace with others is the responsibility of Jesus and Jesus alone. Mm. Only Jesus could reconcile us to God. This is what scripture teaches us, and this is the truth of the gospel. So not the law, not the commands, not the sacrifices, It was Jesus' atoning blood on the cross that reconciled us. Mm -hmm. And it's only Jesus who can cause man to be reconciled to man. We can't lose sight of this. All conflict is caused by sin. Mm. Racism at its very core is just selfishness. Mm. I have this need to feel superior to someone else. And you, therefore, are going to be inferior or I covet what you want and the fact that I don't have it becomes somehow some fault of yours. This is what James teaches us when he Mm. says, what's the source of all the conflict and the wars? Isn't it selfishness? And so at its core, racism is simply sin. This isn't politics, it isn't tradition, it isn't geographical location, it's not social indoctrination. It's not family issues. The core of this, and this is why we must understand it and speak to it now, is that racism is sin. And that desire to feel superior to someone else is what causes conflict. So, to go further, sorry,
0: how should the gospel impact how we think about racism?
1: <sighs> Boy. You know, my hope here, uh, TK, is that we're not just having conversations to say we did something, Mm -hmm. but that these conversations will actually result in people being challenged and convicted, corrected, Mm -hmm. and cause our heart to change. And really, only the Lord Jesus Christ can do that. How does the gospel impact that? I think it starts here. It starts in this chair I'm sitting in. What are my attitudes regarding other people, other ethnicities? Do I hold resentment and anger for some of the atrocious, hostile, and bitter things that have happened in this country because of the injustices that I see being visited wholesale on people for no other reason than they're poor and of a different race? What should my response be? I think, you know, my God has been so gracious with me And so I have to find a way to forgive, but at the same time balance speaking out against injustice. We certainly have to speak out, and that is the the cry, I guess, that I have in my heart, that the season of casual commitment to Christ really has passed. We have to be all in now. It's not about political correctness, it's about speaking the truth in love And understanding that it's God who exacts vengeance, it's not my place to exact vengeance. But it is my responsibility to speak for those who are oppressed, to stand up where there's injustice, and to demand mercy, because that's what's been visited in my life, grace and mercy. Mm -hmm. But where there's injustice, we have to speak out. And I think we can't retreat behind, that's not my problem, that's a governmental issue, oh, because I don't look at things that way, it just isn't a problem. The body of Christ has the affirmative responsibility to speak to this issue now. Mm-hmm. So true. Mr. Ingram, I, um, as we you know,
0: move in this conversation today, how have you seen racism and, um, and or experienced racism? you know i could talk about my experiences of racism
2: and they would be too numerous i would mm. take up the uh, the entire allotment of time if i started to recount them but one thing i would like to say too just to piggyback you know on what larry was saying you know about, about ethnicity is that i am unapologetically a christ follower and i'm also unapologetically black man yes sir now for some of my friends there's a conflict there's a dichotomy there for me there is no dichotomy I had to go before the Lord about that TK because when I came to the Lord I mm. came to the Lord as an angry black man mm. I was a full of a lot of rage resentment anger and as God began to deal with me he said Ron that heart is inconsistent with who you are now. It is inconsistent with the new man that you are. Mm. And we're going to have to deal with this. And it began to let me see that I can't change the world, I can't change people, but I have a God who can change me. Yes, sir. Mm. And God did that. You know, I realized as God began to show me that this is a battle that's going to be won on my knees in prayer. I've got to surrender myself, uh, my rights, you know, my rights to mm-hmm. be treated correctly. Um, I have to surrender that to God and let God fight my battles for me. Mm. And God really began to do that. He really began to do that. Situations did not change. Situations did not change. And I encounter racism even today. Yeah. You know, even today, I don't have to go way back five, 10 years, you know, even today. And if I may, you know, just to give some current yeah. examples, and, and I say this too because I have well-meaning friends that, that, that say, Ron, help me understand what the problem is. You know, one of my friends says, look, I'm young, I'm white, I'm male, I have no concept of discrimination. Hmm. I have never been discriminated against, so I don't know what's that like. Can you give me a clue? Can you give me an idea of, of what that is like? Well, this is recent. You know, I stopped at a fast food restaurant, and I'm going to get a carry out. So I go in there, and there's nobody there to serve, so I wait for about five minutes. While I'm waiting, another guy comes in. He's white. And well, when the guy does come out from the back, he immediately goes to the white guy and says, May I help you?
1: There I'm it is. thinking...
2: Um, Like, I was here like five minutes before this guy came in, you know. So anyway, they, they do that. And then he comes to me. He says, may I help you? I said, well, first of all, may I help you? I said, granted, when you came out, you did not know who was here first. I said, well, your responsibility was to ask who's next. But without a thought, you ignored me and went right to the other guy. And immediately the other guy says, look, hey, I, I am sorry. I don't want any part of this. He says, I thought that he had already served you. Mm. And that's why he was asking me. Mm. He said, I thought he had already served you. And the guy the servant, he says, look, you nailed me. You nailed me. I totally get it. I totally get it. I was wrong. I blew it. Okay, that was bad. Now let me tell you another quick one.
1: Mm. Take your time.
2: I was invited to a party in the suburbs, a friend of mine. Um, he sent the invitation. And he says, uh, You're going to really enjoy this. I've hired a clown for entertainment. Mm-hmm. He says, Okay, this is fine. It's out there, you know, very affluent suburb. And I decide I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. So I go to the party. I'm there. I'm smartly dressed. I have a gift in my hand. I ring the doorbell. A lady answers. And she says, Hey, everybody, the clown is here. I thought, The clown? do I look like a clown? She thought, he's black, he's out here, where he probably should be. Surely, he's the entertainment. He's the clown. Well, my friend rebounded and handled the situation very gracefully. He brought me in, and he laid it on really, really thick. Hey, guys, this is Ron. He's a good friend of mine. And he goes on and on and on to repair, to repair the damage and here again, this is very when you talk about systemic, and people say, "Is there systemic mm. racism? I think those are two good examples of this is systemic without a thought. boom mm. the, the, their behavior was racist, but again, unwittingly, <laughs> I'm sure she thought, surely he, he must be he must be the clown entertainment. <laughs> you see what I'm talking yeah, about?
0: Yeah, wow. Mr McCarthy <laughs> um, have you seen and or experienced it?
1: Yes. TK, here's the, thank you for that, Ron. Those are good you. illustrations. But the issue of race in America is ever present. It's like, um, it's like a current in a river. Sometimes it's, it's at the surface and it's even violent. It's loud and it's roaring. And it it wants to rip, if I could, follow that metaphor, I guess, the ship of America in pieces. And other times it's under the surface, but that current is always there. Always. So all all of my life I've experienced that. Now, what are the things that helped me push against it, so to speak? I think if I'm going to be candid with you, I think it was my parents. Mm -hmm. You know, I never saw my father... um, bowing or cowering or feeling in any way inferior to any person. I think it was the words of affirmation and grace that my mother would speak into my life from an early age, saying that yeah, you're as good as anybody else. You need to work hard. Nobody's going to give you anything, but you're not inferior to anybody. You're, you're intelligent. You're smart. You're you need to apply yourself. I think they constantly uh, were pushing against that current. And, when, and I think in large measure, TK, because of their life experience. I remember they mm-hmm. grew up in the deep south. And, you know, my mother and father were friends with Medgar Evers. I mean, my mother still is in contact with Merle Evers today. The, um, but they knew people during that era in the 40s and 50s that were doctors there were lawyers, there were dentists. Do you have any idea how hard you had to work in order to receive those kind of credentials in that period of time, in that place in America's history? But these are the people that they saw, and my father grew up in a deeply segregated uh, society. When I was a young boy, I went to visit his mother in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and that was the first time I saw a colored fountain And a white fountain. Now the white drinking fountain was pristine. The porcelain was clean. The chrome was shiny. And the the colored fountain was all tarnished and, in my opinion, dirty. And I remember looking at them and thinking, why would anybody drink from that? Why don't everybody just drink from this one? And my grandmother had to explain to me the attitudes of how people viewed black people and why these things were segregated. So have I experienced it? Yes, the current has always been there, TK, at every, every uh, time of my life. Do I have um, specific examples? I could give you quite a few. Certainly in Jacksonville, Illinois, where I was called names, when I went to law school at IU, there were only seven blacks in my class, and the dean of students called us into his office, and he said, well, you're, you know, we're glad that you are here, but you do not want to go to Martinsville. And I'm like, what is Martinsville? And it was a municipality about 60 miles outside of Indianapolis. And he said, that's a restricted community, and they're known for being extremely violent. And I was outraged. By that, you gonna sit up here and tell me that you know that these people are doing wrong, and your advice and counsel is we should just stay away from around there. And the more I dug into it, and this is in the '70s, but 1962 was the last public lynching in Marion, Indiana. There's a picture of it with about 300 people gathered, women and children, and if you look at their faces, it's like they're at a picnic while this battered and burned and tortured corpse is hanging from a tree. Not 50 miles from where I'm going to law school. Have I been called names? Sure. I've been called some names here. Racism is always there. It's under the current, and we push against it with truth. Otherwise, we run up on some, some really rocky shoals. Now, I guess I need to hasten to say this, too. When we came to this church in the early 60s, 1967, I think, is when Moody Church changed its constitution where black people could actually join and become members. Up to that point, you could attend, but you couldn't become a member. And so about 67 is when the constitution changed. You can get get your mind around that for a minute. It hasn't been that long ago. That siren went by. My impulse was to put my hands up, but anyway people would say cruel things don't they have any churches in your neighborhood my parents would sit down in the sanctuary and people would get up and move it was the gospel that drew them it was the gospel that kept them here they were hearing the truth from god's word but it wasn't necessarily because they were embraced and loved by everyone but there were people who crossed through the barrier, got out of their comfort zone, and showed us the real love of Christ. When the city of Chicago went up in flames after King died, I mean, there was rioting and looting all over the west side of Chicago. And to to this day, parts of the west side haven't recovered from the burning. And this is when Mayor Daley at that time issued a shoot to kill order. If you were on the streets, the Chicago police were ordered to shoot to kill. And they drew a line that basically said, this is what we're gonna protect and anything burning west of that's just gonna burn. And so the city of Chicago is going up in flames. it's all over the news. Truck drivers are being snatched out of trucks and they're looting. I mean, it's just rioting on a wholesale scale. This white couple who attended the church lived out in Elgin. And I remember they called the house, talked to my dad, and he said, listen, we're seeing all this stuff going on in Chicago. Are you guys okay? And my dad said, yeah, we're, we're not really near that, and we're fine. Thank you for calling. And here's what this guy said. He says, well, listen, I talked to my wife. We'd like to come and get you and you and your family. Why don't you guys just come and stay out here with us until this thing blows over? My dad respectfully declined that offer, but I remember when he hung up the phone, he looked at my mother and he said, why would they do that? They don't know us. Does he understand just driving into Chicago would put him more at risk than anything else? But I think that was one example of one couple that move past their uh, their bias, move past their prejudice, move past their comfort zone to do what God commands us to do, and that is to love one another.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But the current TK in America is always there. Sometimes it's subtle, but it's always there. And if we get complacent about that, take our hand off the tiller, so to speak, we drift into areas of dissipation and we drift into areas of apathy and we drift into areas of violence Mm. because we aren't pushing against the current
0: that's heart-wrenching in a lot of ways to hear those stories and and i and i want to press you even more into this like for mr ingram like um miss mccarthy alluded to just the local church and experiences within that. Personally for you, have you experienced it, racism in mean, any form or seen it within local church?
2: I'd say within the local church expansively, and I'm saying inner city churches that are multi-ethnic, mm-hmm. that are multi-ethnic, and I do talk to many people about this, and I have to see what they see and Mm -hmm. feel what they feel. One of the things is there's a complaint of feeling marginalized, and I think some instances, TK, you are feeling marginalized because you are being marginalized. This is not something that you're imagining. Mm -hmm. You know, it really is true. It isn't always blatant, willful, or deliberate, But, you Mm. know, for example, you know, I've had people say to me, he says, you know, I've been around my church, you know, for a long time. I'm able to do this, this, this and this. Do you know? They've asked my colleagues to do things. They've never extended an invitation to me. Mm. They've never asked me. They never invited me to hold an office. Um, Ron, why do you think that is? And I said, Well, why do you think that is? <laughs> <I> said, well, <laughs> you, you know what I think it is. And, and I do get that frequently. You know, I do get that frequently where oftentimes people are overlooked. You know, they're overlooked. And I don't think it's intentional. I'm not just going to overlook you, but you tend to focus in on the people that you know, and you don't really have a relationship with these people. So you don't know who they are, what they can do, where they are. So I I, I do see a marginalization of people, uh, in the local church around, and and I say it, you know, w- with all kindness, you know, and with a with a soft heart, because I do believe that in many instances it isn't willful or deliberate, and there have been occasions where I've had to speak to that, and people listened, and they said, you know, thank you very much. What you're pointing out is absolutely correct. It was not intentional. Let's do something about it. Let's do something about it. So I'd like to be proactive and positive. You know, the old, angry, bitter Ron is gone, Mm. you know, but the new Ron is how can we address it? Mm -hmm. What can we do? How can we move forward? How can we educate each other? How can we help each other? How can we let the God of the universe
0: who is God over all of us? Mm. How can we let him be God? Amen. And, and, mm. that's, and that's a really good point. And to, as someone who works with international students, you know, and students from across the world coming to the USA, uh, have you noticed any common themes that um, mm. those who are coming here, their observations, have they said things to you, even when specifically to this conversation of racism?
2: yes. Yes, and I love it. I love it. I love to talk with them. And I've had to correct volunteers and other American students. One of the complaints or one of the things that happens with international students as they come here, they don't have facility with the English language. And I have to let people know, do not take that as any indication of their intelligence. They're probably more brilliant than you and I. Okay, the issue is they're learning English. Mm. They're learning English. However, there were times when people would look down on them, and they felt like, you know, they're demeaning me. They're looking down on me. They're thinking I'm stupid. They're thinking I'm dumb. Far from the case. I just don't know English. (laughs) You know, I'm just trying to learn English. How about if I take you and (laughs) drop you in my country? How will you do? You know how will you do? So they do have that 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 complaint and that concern. You know, and uh, I certainly sympathize. But it just educated me mm-hmm. tremendously. I was talking to one young man from China, and he was saying again, what I don't like is the broad-brushed, stereotypical thinking, because people say, well, Chinese people are this way. He says, well, I'm from Urumqi. Hmm. He says. People, Chinese people from Urumqi are very different from people from Beijing. They're not even close, okay? They're very different. He says, so when you try to paint a broad brush and say, well, this is how Chinese people are, hmm. you're making a very big mistake. He says, that I really don't like it. He's not only I, many of us don't like it. And that's something that we see constantly. Well, of course, being being black, I can understand that because people tend to paint black people with a broad brush that all black people are this way. So I do find that, uh, that sensitivity with the international students, and I really try to help them and go out of my way, go out of my way to um, eliminate any of that divisiveness and educate people that are going to work with us to respect these people, love mm-hmm. them, treat them with honor and respect. Mm-hmm. They're intelligent people. Those that got here, that's how they got here. They're smart. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you know, they're smart. That's how they got here. So give them their props.
0: Well, yeah, no, it's very true. Um, Mr. McCarthy, I think just to, to tie on to that, and you, um, the point was raised about the broad brush. And just in, in brief, is that something that, um, an innate thing that we tend to do with, with, with each other? We paint a stereotypical broad brush about, because I have one person experience with one person, everyone is like that.
1: Well, sure. I think it's part of our desire to want to um, control and understand. we, we it comes under the banner of, um, uh, if I can understand something, the end of that equation is going to be somehow I can control it. Mm. And so, therefore, I look at you and I say, oh, yeah, that's a... That's a standard A21 personality. You know, I've run across that before. Now, you can put in whatever you want in that blank, you know, mm-hmm. but that's how they are. Uh, they don't respond well to that. They don't like that. Oh, they like it when you do this. It, 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 it I'm trying to be as gracious as I can regarding stereotypes, yeah. but... But that, I think, is part of what motivates it, that this allows me then to be able to control or to respond. You know, my hope and prayer, uh, TK, is that um, implied in having these sessions is highlighting the need to listen. Mm. And I think true leadership does that. It listens. It doesn't come to the table with a preconceived notion or a preconceived answer. It is in earnest, with sincerity, curious. And in the body of Christ, I think leadership has to listen now. We can't be afraid of what would be perceived as criticism or even unpleasant things. Mm. When Ron talks about people feeling marginalized, that is contrary to the gospel message. Mm. so tell me why tell me how tell me when let me see this through your eyes let me try to understand it now it requires a lot of transparency and it requires a lot of intentionality it takes patience and I think it also requires though uh, that I need to ask these questions Not because I think I can control what the answers are going to be, but because I want to make a change. Mm. And so within the body of Christ, the the pure question I have about the broad stroke is, are we listening? And do we have uh, forms, procedures, mechanisms, so to speak, where people can say, I don't feel welcomed. Or Mm -hmm. I feel that I've been treated in a disparate manner. I think I'm tolerated, and there are seasons of polite courtesies, but nobody's really getting to know me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: See, I think the biggest, um, well, I'm out here now, so I'll go ahead and saw off the limb. See, we don't want to be a place where we just talk about diversity like it's some kind of trophy to parade out. Oh yeah, we're we're diverse. We got we got all kinds of people here. We got a we got a Nigerian, and we got a Costa Rican, and we even got some people from Panama. We, you know, what's their names? Well, I don't know. How many kids they got? I'm not real sure they got kids. Don't don't know. How's their walk with Christ? What is it that they need in terms of shepherding and discipleship? Well, I know they got a Bible. But I've seen well, at least uh, the guy from India always brings his but bi- is that's what we don't want to be. We're, we're using diversity to simply say that it's a trophy to parade out as opposed to, are we really weaving ourselves into the fabric of the lives of each other? Am I naturally curious about you? And more importantly, yeah, I need to know about your food. Mm-hmm. Yes, I want to know about your experience here, but what's your walk with Christ? Mm. What are your spiritual sparring partners? What is it that you're dealing with now? How can we encourage one another? You know, that's that circle of grace. How can I minister to you now, and how can you minister to me through the gifts that God has given each one of us? Mm. There aren't any unnecessary folks in the body of Christ, and so they're here for a reason. And so, are those are those gifts being stirred up and cultivated, or are we just happy to say, because you're from a different place, we're glad to have you here, so we can brag about how much diversity that we have? Mm. You just gonna let me sit here and saw this limb <laughs> off like that, just and all by myself? You, go, <laughs> you know, the word that
2: comes to my mind is is celebrating. You know, mm. How you celebrate diversity? Mm. And I've just had to go before the Lord, mm-hmm. you know, for a long time because we say we are all uniquely gifted mm-hmm. and we all bring something special to the table. Yeah. I don't know that I really believed that for a long time. And God just began to break that down for me to show me that, no, indeed, this is true. You know, this, this is true. Um, there is only one TK. Okay. And uh, he has gifted you in a unique way to operate within the context where he has placed you, yes. and nobody can replace you. You know, only you hmm. can do what God has for you. And with each one of us, there is a cause and there's a reason to celebrate. There's beauty, hmm. there's beauty in diversity. You know, there is a, uh, a Korean conference where they do, and it says hmm. we are Christians, but we're also Korean. We're Korean by design. And by purpose of God. So let us not forget that mm. and throw that out the window. No, we are career and we are Christian, and we want to live the two together, mm. you know, to the honor and glory of God. And I think that's very, you know, very good. If I could just say one more thing, go ahead, go ahead. You know, j- just one thing, too, just in terms of leaning on God and trusting God. When I worked in corporate, I, I would say I had what I call the boss from hell, and he was as mm. racist as he could be. Mm. And I prayed about it, and I would have done anything to get away from him and to get out from under him. And I thought, at a point, we're going to come to blows because we're going to come in, and he's going to call me one of those names, and I'm going to knock him right out of his chair. And God says, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're going to love him, and I'm going to show you how. Mm. And God began to work with me and work on me Mm. and work in my heart. And he began to show me how to honor him and how to respect him and how to love him. It wasn't easy. Right. Okay. It was not easy. No, it was not easy. But I had to submit to God. I'm going to tell you, within nine months to a year, God had totally changed that man. (laughs) He totally changed the situation. Why? Because he changed me. Mm. Mm. He changed me. You know, he changed my heart. And I think with many of us, with many of the situations that we have, those circumstances aren't going to change. And if we focus on that, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. But if we focus on us and our relationship with God, Mm. who he is, you know, and what he can do, we can see some progress. And I feel like, you know, what God is saying, and one of the things a clarion call that I feel like he wants me to say is Mm. that, Ron, you need to let people know that I am real. I do exist. I am everything that I say I am. I can do everything that I say I can do. My word is true to who I am. Believe me. Trust me. And I think when people do embrace that, then the gospel gives racism a different look. Mm. You have a whole
0: different take on all of it. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. I think, just in closing, um, what what words would you share with people who are listening to us tonight, either one of you or both of you, just a a quick word as we navigate this conversation and we all know this is not an overnight solution, we figured this out in four weeks, Mm -hmm. Um, but how do we help each other walk through the gospel? So we we are renewed in the gospel, Mm. at the same time we are walking through this. It's not just a hot topic. Yeah, it's a sin issue that's plaguing the world in so many different ways, so many different levels. Yeah, either one of you want to
1: go ahead. Well, I think we're back where we started. That my hope and my prayer is that these conversations will put in perspective the issue of race. That it's it's not about um, opinion or even feelings. It's sin, and if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then that's sin is breaking your fellowship with God, and it breaks your fellowship with others. We want these conversations to challenge you, to convict you, to rebuke you, to correct you, but more importantly, to cause the transformation through God's word. And that starts with each one individually. And I think oftentimes when we want to talk about uh, racial reconciliation, it's easy to push the conversation externally to what the government should do and what institutions should do, and what policies we need, where we really need to turn that focus internally. And each one now, every believer, every person within the body of Christ, holding themselves accountable for what it is that they're harboring in their heart. If you're harboring resentment or anger or bitterness or even feelings of superiority, confess that. Rebuke it. Repent. Repent. And then start the healing that only God himself can bring into your life. That's my prayer. Otherwise, TK, we just learn uh, lend ourselves to a long list of people who are just talking. Mm. And at the end of the day, it's a it's a shiny veneer on a corroded surface that doesn't really accomplish anything. We want to cut to the heart, and mm-hmm. that really starts with that self-examination for every single person, whether you've been on the receiving end of this evil or you've been the one dishing it out. Mm. I think
2: it's very important, too, to recognize things for what it is and call it, what it is. Yes. And um, I think even, for example, I know when I'm talking to people, even with myself and I'm talking about sin, and people say, oh, I made a mistake. It was Mm -hmm. a misstep. It was a misjudgment. I said, no, God calls that sin. Amen. Call it what it is and then go to God for help. Don't try to pretty it up. You know, call it what it is and then go to God for help. And I think we need to recognize things for what they are and call it what it is. And if it is racism, then let's call it that. Yes. Let's call it that and and then begin to deal with it. And I think we're at a time now where, where are, there are many people who are saying, help me, help me, help me. Tell me what to do. You know, mm. point it out to me. Show it to me so that I can recognize it. And I think as we do that, we can be very proactive, very proactive, and, and help in that. But admit it. Don't say it doesn't hurt when it does. It does yeah. hurt.
1: That's right. If you have a
2: headache, say you have a headache. You know, don't say my hair doesn't hurt. No, it hurts. Mm. You know, say it does. So call it what it is. And then mm. now let's go to God and let's work it out. Mm.
0: Let's walk it out. Mm. Okay, let's do something about it. Mm. Amen. I love what you say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> work it out and walk it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so profound. Once again, I would like to thank you, gentlemen, for joining us tonight. For everyone who's watching, thank you for joining us here
1: on Sunday night service.